Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually in Church podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. For this season, we've been trying to think more specifically about what church should look like in light of our discoveries in season one, about what technology both enables and disables. We've also been looking more concretely at how technology is being used in different areas in the church during COVID. And today we're going to look specifically at church and people slash families with disabilities. In, in this episode today, uh, we have an interview with a friend and a very special guest, Chris Ostertag, who helped inspire us to do this episode and also has a disabled son named Hans. Um, so we'll be sharing that interview a little later in the podcast. Okay, so Jordan, tell us a little bit about our goals for this episode. Okay, so one of the questions that we've been thinking about is whether the use of streaming and similar technologies at church has actually increased access for people with disabilities. Um, we've discussed a lot about the downsides possibly to using disembodied technologies at church, but one of the things we want to sort of examine is, is this outweighed perhaps by the benefits of possible increased access or inclusion of people with disabilities in our churches? And so we're going to try to take a sort of virtually church lens on this and say, what does, what do these technologies both enable and disable for people with disabilities? Yeah. Uh, now, we know that there are different terminologies used for people with disabilities. Sometimes it's special needs. Um, maybe there's another word that's used. Um, uh, we don't believe that we're experts on this subject, um, but for this episode, we're going to try to use disabilities across the board. I know uh, with Jordan's work in the bioethics world, um, they don't really use special needs, but they use disability instead. So that's kind of across the board. Um, if we're using the wrong words for some reason uh, and you write into us, we do apologize, but we're trying our best. Um, that's what we were able to come up with for this episode. Yeah, um, totally. And we do want to hear from you. Uh, if you've got uh, good insights on this, if you've got better clarifying terms, if you've got things you want to share, or you hear something on the podcast today that you're curious about, you want to know about some resources we reference or how to reach some of the people we might mention, uh, hit us up. You can reach us at virtuallychurch at gmail. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can find us individually. Let us know. We want you to be a part of this. Yes. And one more disclaimer, we are going to be talking about disability broadly in this episode, not necessarily talking specifically about a certain type of disability. So uh, we recognize that technology is going to interact differently with people on the autism spectrum, for instance, than somebody who is, um, you know, has a physical disability. So um, just keep that in mind that we're, we're trying to be very broad in general, but we will absolutely say some things wrong and miss some things and hopefully, you know, reach out to us. We'll have a conversation. Um, so starting things off, Taylor, some people may be thinking an episode on disability. Why disability? Worship in small groups, that makes a lot of sense. We're talking <laughs> about ministers and the church, we're talking about how church members should think about technology, but why spend a whole episode on the subject of disability? Well, when we get later in the podcast with the interview with Chris, um, we'll talk a little bit more. But when uh, Jordan was having a back to school party for um, 
her bioethics program, uh, Chris was there and he said, Hey, I've listened to some of your episodes of your podcast. And it's been really interesting for us as in our family, because we have a, a kid with a multiple disabilities, um, and severely disabled. And we're navigating that world between, uh, the, we have some access now at home. We don't have to worry about him getting sick if we take him to church, but at the same time, we're missing some things that are provided there. And more and more through the conversation, uh, he was asking us questions about, you know, what is your take on that? Like, how do you think this might affect people and families in relation to the podcast and the subject that you're studying? And we were just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a really cool idea. And there's a lot of families and people out there that, um, have a disability or know someone that does. And honestly, the church as a whole sometimes has not done a good job of caring for people um, with a disability. And we thought this could be a really cool episode for that subject. So um, that's kind of why we want to explore this topic as a full episode. So Jeremy, um, we're, let's look at our churches since both you and I are ministers. Uh, have you and your church thought about how to care for people with a disability? Um, have, have y'all had any discussions or maybe just you as a minister been thinking about it? Yeah. So we have people in our population here in our congregation with various uh, disabilities, be it physical, uh, developmental. Uh, we have people suffering from cognitive um degeneration diseases, uh, and several kids on the autism spectrum. And I, I don't have a lot of answers on this one, just a lot of curiosity. And as someone who's not a specialist in that field specifically, that's also how I approach these families is with curiosity and humility, not thinking that I have answers, but asking them, how do we support your family? How do we accommodate your needs so that you can best participate uh, in this community and both receive and contribute. Um, and then we actually listen. <laughs> and so we've, we've done our best to provide the kinds of support that these families need. And that's very different for a, a elementary school girl, uh, on the spectrum and a high school boy on the spectrum. Those are very different needs. Um, someone who's hard of hearing versus someone who's legally blind or our friends that have mobility issues all need different things. Um, and so we've tried to be as direct and personal in our responses as possible. Are there like, are there some like, one or two examples of something that you and your church has done for someone or like what that might look like? Yeah. So we have a, I'm thinking specifically about a teenage boy who's on the autism spectrum and the normal setup for what like a youth group Bible study looks like does not fit the way that he interacts or the way that he learns or thinks. And so working with him and his family and being really curious and not going in with a like, here are my ideas, but asking what would it take for this environment to be a good one, a safe one, a useful one for your child? What would we do? And we've gone through a couple series of experiments 
of here's an idea from the student. Here's an idea from their parents. They talked to their doctor. They said, try this. Um, and, and where we're at right now is sort of, we, we have a very, if I said youth room and an image popped into your head, it's probably ours. <laughs> big classroom, tables, sofas, big whiteboard projector. And it's all sort of driven around talking to each other, but also a direction where the teacher stands and uses a board and leads that discussion. Uh, mm -hmm. But we've created a specific space that is his, uh, where the, the student with the, the, the extra need has his own corner where he can move, where he can stand, where he can engage physically the way he needs to, uh, where other people don't invade his space the way that he needs, things like that is where we've settled on that. So we there's sort of a sensory controlled area that he's allowed to control so that the, the experience isn't overwhelming. So I think about that specifically. Um, and other yeah. th there's ways that we've tweaked things like the way that we train our children's educators uh, when the um, elementary school children with disabilities are in their class, just supplying extra resources that we get from the parents. Yeah, that reminds me a lot of when I was doing a little research for this episode and listening to or doing research on other churches that also deal with kids specifically with different disabilities. And there is one church I was talking to that has like the sensory room and they have actually a whole hallway dedicated. Um, they have a lot of resources at this church, but a whole hallway dedicated to kids that have a disability that they're able to go to. And it's almost tailored a little bit more to like what might be provided uh, at school for them and the sensory rooms or um, a special education classroom that they can go to if needed. And I think that's a pretty cool environment. Now, I, I think like we were saying, it does kind of favor or it's thought of for certain types of disabilities, like someone that has autism or down syndrome or something like that. But that's, that's pretty cool to make sure that, um, our spaces are thought of and cared for in a special way. And it's not just geared for, you know, one type of person or one type of youth. So Taylor, what about Kirkwood Baptist Church? What has your church done to care for disabled members? Okay. So before the pandemic, um, you know, we've had kind of the traditional stuff. Like um, if you're thinking of a physical disability, we have, you know, the wheel, wheel, wheelchair ramps accessible for the building uh, inside and out. Um, if you elevators, um, we have a church member that's blind. So we actually have all of the hymns in a bra braille book for him. And he's able to follow along for the songs, which is really cool. Um, but we've also been doing little more subtle things. Uh, we don't have uh, many people with a mental disability, but if I think of disability a little more broadly, like we have a lot of older adult, like older seniors that have hearing problems or vision problems. So one thing that we started doing with one of the committees that was we're trying to meet during a lunchtime hour so that uh, for one of our members, like he can drive much better in the daytime, but when it becomes nighttime, it's like very dangerous and it's difficult and it's hard to get to the meetings. And so that's kind of cool. Um, 
And we also have a group of people. It's not formal that are just willing to like pick up people that can't drive to church for some reason. Um, and we do have uh, a few other church members that I know that might have uh, a mental disability and, um, Matt, our pastor has done a good job in staff and also kind of with the culture of the church of like, Hey, um, worship might not always be solemn, like quiet, you know, <laughs> like, especially in person, uh, if someone has a disability and they're needing to voice their feelings or some way, shape or form, like that's okay. Like that's a great experience within our church, but that has been talked about and explained so that, you know, our church has that kind of expectation. Um, so, but we don't have an official program. Like I know when I was talking with other churches, um, there's some churches that have like a full ministry team dedicated to, um, caring for families with disabilities. And I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, the resources that are provided for that is great. And it kind of spreads like wildfire. You know, if one family finds out about it, uh, you know, it shares it with another family, and I think that's really, really cool. Now, during the pandemic, I know at our church, we didn't really do anything else other than a live stream or Zoom for Sunday school. But for anyone that had, uh, you know, a mental disability or, or anything like that, there wasn't anything else provided other than just the live stream, what we've been doing for others. Um, but when I was reaching out and talking around uh, to other churches that have larger ministries, um, one thing that they started doing was they were creating specific content for um, families that have special needs. They were they might create the content that's a, a week later than what the sermon was to like uh, find a, a a way to share that information with the families and especially with the kids, which I thought was cool. Um, but in in doing so, I I had some questions about. Um, about doing it through all this form of technology. Uh, one thing that was shared with me was like, oh, we discovered that there were some families that had severely disabled kids that weren't even getting to church before the pandemic. And now that we started tailoring our content virtually, it, um, it reached them in a way that we hadn't been reaching that family because it was really difficult for them to like get out of the house on a Sunday morning. Um, and, it it made them think about not just the families that were showing up, but the families that were interested in their congregation, but not able to attend for, you know, logistical reasons, that being the case. But I asked, and I, I want to ask this for us too, of like, I, I was saying, what are some concerns about um, just having this? It's, it's a little, it's definitely more accessible for families because it's an online content. And you don't have to get out of the house. But is there any concerns about what's being lost if we're not in person or what's being lost with being within the community? And, you know, what I heard through who I've through different churches was, you know, the loss of the senses, like people with disabilities, the senses like touch or smell or um, vibrations in the air are like critical with how a lot of these people connect with the world and also the idea of being connected in a community that sees them as a human being and um, makes them feel welcomed and belong belonging like you actually are supposed to be here and you fit in and we want you here for who you are and I thought that was really cool and they were just saying 
I don't know how we could create that on a virtual level. Um, and that's something that I w- would hope that we could talk a little bit about too. Like, um, Jordan, what's your thoughts when you hear something like that? So I was wondering, you know, in the, the beginning of our conversation, we talked more about the strategies of tailoring our spaces in churches to mm-hmm. be accommodating to people with disabilities, especially things like autism. And, you know, Jeremy's example of having a corner in the room or a, a part of the room that is controllable for the, this person, right, in the way that they need. And I was wondering, you know, I could imagine somebody saying, well, great. Now, if we do everything on Zoom, that child can be in their own home, in their own room. And we don't even have to tailor the space anymore because it's even it's even better. It's their space. And so I'm wondering what what would you guys say to a suggestion like that, that mm-hmm. actually technology is enabling people who have different needs when it comes to the space that they're in, and it's enabling them to get those needs met because they can be at home and still engage. Yeah, I was thinking about this this past week. Um, we we made an upgrade on our streaming technology, so I, I went to pay extra attention to the stream of the service, went back and watched it, and something Facebook offers on its streaming platform of Facebook Live is it will real-time caption every word that it can catch. It did... Like I preach pretty quick. It did a good job. Um, mm. And suddenly for someone who's hearing impaired, the service has become accessible in a way, or at least the information portion of it has become accessible in a way that my church could never accommodate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is a case to be made, you know, that for some people in some circumstances, the use of streaming technologies does increase certain types of access for certain types of people. Um, you know, we we tend in this podcast to sort of look at a critical eye at something like that, that a disembodied mm-hmm. platform can bring increased access. But I think it's worth naming that it it can be true, right? Of some scenarios, the captioning of a sermon, you know, that's that's something that maybe we weren't even thinking about before in our churches and in, in the actual physical space. I think for me as a minister, my biggest concern is that some of the more like spiritual or like deeper emotional needs uh, begin to be forgotten. Um, I don't know. I was just, we're hearing stories of this church. They, they do uh, a buddy system um, before the pandemic where if you drop your kid off, there is someone that it's one-on-one with your child um, and goes through Sunday school class. And if, if they can, we'll take them to worship. And if worship gets too crazy or agitating, the, the buddy will work with them and maybe take them out of the room and put them into, you know, a crash room or something that they can get all the energy out of. And I was just thinking about, you know, even if you didn't have a disability and there was someone in your church that like intentionally cared and like met you and made sure that you felt like you belonged here and introduced you to different areas within the community, how emotionally like pleasing, I I can't think of a better word, like how loving that is. It's a physical representation of saying you belong here. 
and you for no matter what you are you know and how you navigate within the world like just because of who you are you belong and we want you to feel welcomed in this community that's my greatest fear is that being missed because if if we tailor a perfect you know engagement of information just through our forms of technology to a point where it's it's just way more convenient for me to stay at home um, and I feel I think I'm getting everything that I need but families are missing the fact that like they're in a physical space where physical people love them and they show that through their actions and I don't know I just think that's so important not just for people with disabilities I think it's important for all of us and uh, that's like one of my biggest fears because I was hearing how transformational it is for people that if you have a disability, often throughout our society, like you don't belong or you don't fit in or uh, people don't think about you and like the world that you have to navigate through. So just life is more difficult. And I don't know, walking into a church community and seeing the love of God in that physical presence way is something so special that I don't know if you can, I'm afraid of that being lost. Um by just increasing accessibility to the information of what we do at church. Yeah, that's that's really well said. I think my biggest worry is not so much for the people with disabilities, but actually for us. Mm. If we leave people with disabilities at home and we say, look, you have access to church um, from your own room, um, what what are we missing out on that they can bring to us, that they can teach us about the love of God? You know, it's it's concerning to me that I don't remember the statistic. It's a lot of people in our world are disabled in some form mm. or another, like a lot of people. I think it was like one in five or something like that was the statistic. And I don't see a lot of them at church. And I wonder if, you know, if there's some things that, that we could be doing better for our own sake to see those people who are a part of, you know, the community of God. It's not just uh, what we can provide you know, I think sometimes we think, oh, like, what can we do for, for, for them? What, how can we help them? But we, I think that's a beautiful point, Jordan, that, you know, people with disabilities have so much to offer us. Yeah. Like they're human beings that have so much to offer us and to enrich and to create that community, I think is really special. But I, I would agree with Jeremy, like if, if you've realized having the captions is helping someone being able to connect with what's going on in the service. Um, you don't want to throw that out. You don't, you, I, I think maybe we go, sometimes people go, oh, well, we'll just keep it on Facebook. Um, and they can just watch it on Facebook because that's the easiest solution. But maybe there's a more thoughtful or creative way to still provide captioning or I, I, I don't know, like be more creative than just what is kind of provided for you on a plate through the technology, right? Like, oh, Facebook can do it for you. You don't have to do anything else. Like it's ready and available. And I'm not saying that's inherently bad, but if it does take away from people's ability to have that experience in person with others and to cultivate that belonging, um, maybe there's a more creative way for us to blend the two or something. I don't know. So 
that's a little bit of our thoughts and kind of how we've been navigating this topic. But now we're really excited to share uh, my interview with Chris Ostertag and about his experience as a parent. Um, so we hope you enjoy this interview. And uh, Chris and I are going to kind of finish out the episode. Um, so we appreciate you uh, listening and hope you enjoy my interview with Chris. Well, welcome back, everybody. Today, we have a special guest with us. Uh, Chris Ostertag is a doctoral candidate in theology and healthcare ethics at St. Louis University. Uh, Chris recently began serving as a director of mission services for OSF Healthcare in Illinois. Chris and his family are in the process of moving from St. Louis to Champaign, uh, Illinois area. And Chris and his wife, Rachel, have two children, Sophia and Hans and two dogs, Bentley and Snickers. Uh, we're very glad that uh, you decided to come and talk with us today. Uh, thanks for joining us, Chris. Yeah, happy to be here. So uh, we're kind of splitting this episode up into two. So Jeremy and Jordan and myself talked a little bit about our experience and what we've been doing through churches and what we've learned with people with disabilities. Um, and we shared a little bit about how I got connected with you. Like I hadn't kind of known you over a little bit just in passing, but uh, I know at the back to school party for the ethics program at St. Louis, we were talking and you brought up, hey, I've been thinking about your podcast and kind of the topic of what you're doing. Could you talk a little bit more of like kind of what sparked that and how that relates to your personal, uh, your personal life? Yeah, happy to. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, uh, Rachel and I, we have two kids, Sophia and Hans. Uh, Sophia is six, and Hans is four. And Hans has a rare genetic disorder called peroxisome biogenesis disorder. And, you know, basically, this it's, it's unfortunately a terminal disorder, and it's a disorder that really has kind of a lot of both physical and intellectual disabilities associated with it. So he's deaf and blind. He has a feeding tube, seizures, um, and, and developmentally, he's around six to nine months old. Yeah. And, you know, we got his diagnosis early on when he was three months old. Um, so really, you know, um, it's something that's really greatly impacted our family. And, you know, my wife and I have, you know, we've been Catholic all of our lives, and for me personally and for my wife, um, neither of us really grew up with people with disabilities. Mm. Um, I mean, of course, like, you know, we had, um, you know, family friends who maybe had a child with Down syndrome or I have a, a cousin with cerebral palsy. Um, and But we really didn't, like, know kind of what living and loving someone with disabilities really entailed. And, you know, so with Hans... You know, early on in his life, um, fortunately, there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of concerns. Like, he was doing pretty well. Um, but one thing that's always really been a concern is um, he gets really sick when he gets sick, especially anything like respiratory. Um, so even, like, pre-COVID, um, you know, Rachel and I were always really careful around, you know, flu season, RSV season. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and even just outside of those seasons, like we were just kind of really protective of our personal space as a family. And, and that means church as well. And, you know, kind of looking back, I, you know, I think that we sort of instinctively kind of isolated ourselves when we were going to church again, pre COVID. 
Um, because, you know, we, it's not necessarily that we didn't feel welcomed or anything like that, but it was just like, we kind of wanted to preserve our personal bubble to Mm -hmm. avoid the possibility of, you know, Hans getting sick. Um, and then of course COVID happens. Um, and for us, you know, obviously, you know, we, so we're Catholic and in St. Louis, we've, we've been going to the Cathedral Basilica um, for much of the last two years. Um, Which, like, for people that ha- don't live in St. Louis or don't know, it's, like, a massive, like, basilica church that is huge, and, like, I don't, I don't know how many people it fits, and the ceiling's, like, I don't know, like, 100 feet tall or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's beautiful, and it has a huge, huge mosaic um, that um, just all over, and, and it's, it's just a beautiful church, and there's a huge dome. Um, but part of the reason we actually started going to the Cathedral Basilica was because of its handicap accessibility. Okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of old churches, especially a lot of Catholic churches, you know, the, the you know, Hans has a chair now. And it, it's a lot, you know, it's more than just like a stroller. It's kind of like a medical chair. And, you know, again, it's, it's something that you don't really think about it until you need it. And then it's like, okay, do they have a ramp? Are the yeah. doorways wide enough? Mm-hmm. And then for us, the, you know, something that we really came across was, you know, they might, a church might have a ramp and the doorways might be wide enough and they might even have handicapped parking like that's close to the door, which is great. But then you get in the church and there's really nowhere that you can like put be, the chair. Put the chair. <laughs> it's like you don't want to put it in the middle of the aisle. Yeah. Um, and then in some churches, you know, they'll do like, you know, maybe the first two pews or something. They'll like cut, cut the pew in half. Yeah. So, but, you know, for us, like having two little kids, you know, we don't necessarily want to sit in the front, you know, because uh, sometimes, like up front. Yeah, 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 because yeah. it's like, you know, you're always <laughs> self-conscious as a parent and, you know. Um, so for us, like, you know, the Cathedral Basilica is, is great because it has the, you know, it has the ramp, it has the handicapped parking, it has the wide aisles and doorways. But they've also, like, there's multiple places to park a a chair or a wheelchair throughout the church, not just in the front. There's also some that are kind of, like, halfway down on the sides. Um, And, again, it's just kind of a a small thing that you don't really think about until you need it. Um, So the cathedral's been a wonderful home for us. And, um, you know, getting back to your question, like, you know, when COVID happened, you know, and initially there was just, you know, so much concern and mm-hmm. people weren't sure how this was spreading. Oh my and, gosh. And yeah. Things like like that. I remember being here and like literally every step I took, I was like, am I walking into COVID? You exactly. Know? Like we just didn't know. Exactly. Yeah. So for us, you know, we, um, we really kind of paused, you know, going in person to church yeah. whenever, you know, March of 2020. And, um, and thankfully, I mean, the Cathedral Basilica, again, in, in many churches, they they sort of got on to the streaming bandwagon mm-hmm. pretty quickly, you know, yeah. and um, there wasn't like a pause for us where like one Sunday we couldn't figure out, you know, where to stream, like because the Basilica had it set up. And it's kind of interesting, like at that moment, everyone was kind of at, like everyone finally had to think a little bit like you have always had to think of, which is like my movements and safety, right? Like how do I, where I go might be dangerous to my family and to me. And most people have never had to think about that, but you have all the time because of your, your son, right? Like, yeah, exactly. And, you know, certainly because of the nature of COVID, like we were especially concerned, you know, not just for, for Hans, but also for, for ourselves and, and for our, our friends and, and our neighbors and, you know, our, uh, the, you know, other, persons who might be vulnerable in our church 
you know, when you do have a, a child or a person in your family who has visible disabilities, yeah. um, you know, people do look and they do stare and, you know, sometimes they don't say anything, which mm-hmm. in, in other cases, maybe they would. And, you know, people, you pick up on that pretty quickly whenever you feel like people are, you know, looking at your son's, you know, uh, feeding tube bag that's like hanging on the stroller. And, and of course, like, you know, we, we've ne- we fortunately, we've never had kind of like a bad experience, but it's more like the nonverbal cues that you pick up on. Yeah. And with the nonverbal cues, you obviously, I'm assuming you would feel uncomfortable, but like what's underneath of that feeling? Is it more of like not belonging or like making other people or like feeling embarrassed or because I don't know, I feel like that's a pretty this might be a pretty common reality for people that either have a disability or like have a child or someone else or like in their family with it. And is it because like those nonverbal cues make you feel like you less belong there? You know, I I think that sometimes it can feel that way. Um, And, but for me, I also think before we had Hans and how I would react when I saw someone, you know, with visible disabilities, and and again, it's just like if 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 you're not growing up in in a you know with someone in your family with disabilities or a close friend, and it's it's not something you sort of are familiar with growing up, it is different. And you or know, sometimes so, you're like just trying to figure out like what the difference is. You yeah, know? yeah, and, and sometimes it's you know the 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 nonverbal cues that we pick up on, like we can tell that people aren't sure what to say. Like they yeah. they want you know we we feel welcome but we also get the sense that people aren't sure what to say around Mm -hmm. us or whether to say anything to us you know like as we're like people don't want to be offensive but they also like i i feel like there's a lot of people that like don't want to say something wrong but also like don't want to not say something but they're kind of not sure like what is better and Mm -hmm. yeah that's a hard yeah yeah it is hard and that's why like again i you know thankfully i mean my wife and i we've we've always we've had good experiences and we haven't had like any you know overtly negative experiences Mm -hmm. but but i do get sort of a sense of isolation even pre-covid even like when you're there in person exactly so it's not that the isolation is like a physical removing of yourself in the space yeah it's just when you're there it, it feels um like you're not sure how to participate in the community because you you know because also like as a parent of a child with with significant disabilities like you're conscious of how other people might themselves be on une- like they they feel bad because they don't know what to say yeah. or how to act so you almost you, you almost kind of sometimes remove yourself from the situation to almost spare them, you know, the concern. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I don't want you to feel bad. Yeah, like, and I think that that's why, like, for us, a really life-saving community has been our rare disease community. So so families of children affected, in adults affected by paroxysomal disorders, um, because, you know, in that community even more so than in our own families, like everyone gets it. Like you don't have to explain things. You, you don't, there's no awkwardness um, because we all have a really kind of unique shared experience. What my son has is a rare disease and there's lots of, of rare diseases and, and oftentimes they look radically different from one another and the needs are radically different. 
And, you know, it's, you know, when you're trying to figure out how best to um, support families, it really does need to be like an individualized approach. Yeah. Well, with the the topic of technology and kind of like the framework of the podcast, we're looking at how, you know, technology might have specific values that we use, like efficiency or um, connectivity or um, convenience, right, in a way. And also, like, what are the values of the church and how do they... Uh, do they overlap sometimes? Do they not? And how do we make sure we uphold and care for the values of the church, even if the values of technology are very pressing, kind of like within our community and our world? And I, I was just curious to get back on that. Like, how how has your engagement with your church changed during the pandemic? And has it? Maybe it hasn't changed very much. Um, but I'm curious, like, what if there are differences that have changed for you and your family uh, since the pandemic's happened. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, going back to, you know, what I mentioned, you know, in March of 2020 when, you know, there was kind of a pause just collectively as we were trying to figure out how best to to move forward from a public health standpoint. So immediately, you know, there was there was that period of, you know, I'm trying to look back maybe maybe six weeks, maybe two months where there really wasn't an in-person option for us, um, for, for church. And I think that was the way for, for, for a lot of people. everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and for, you know, I know some people have like really strong feelings one way or the other about that, about that. But for us, I mean, again, um, you know, public health, we sort of appreciate, you know, maybe especially so public health efforts, especially when it, when it's relative to, you know, something like COVID that has, that would be really detrimental to Hans if he ever got it. Yeah. Um, so we definitely appreciated the pause as we were trying to kind of figure out what was going on and how best to keep people safe. But I do think so. So, you know, we we watched mass um, and we, we live streamed mass. And um, for us, you know, up to that point, we had, you know, occasionally we would watch mass if, if my wife or I were sick and, you know, or maybe if we were traveling or something, you know, we would watch mass and. Um, but it's always been an in-person experience for us, you know, so it was, it was weird kind of switching to, you know, watching mass virtually and, you know, doing the, the act of spiritual communion rather than, you know, receiving yeah. the body of Christ, you know, in, in, in the, in the form of bread. Um, but I will say that, you know, especially for our daughter, Sophia, um, who's six and, um, who's unaffected by the disorder, mm-hmm. um, you know, she was having more questions and, you know, and then I could tell that she was like, Oh, this is kind of nice. You know, we can just watch mass. And we were like, okay, hold on, yeah. hold on. Like we, this is a temporary thing. We're, we're I don't going have to wake up super early and get yeah, dressed and go yeah. out. And, yeah. Um, so, so it was important for us and, and for, for a lot of people to be able to get back to, to mass in person and to be with, you know, be with the community, even, you know, socially distant. How, how do you feel like, um, Hans's experience has changed like the difference between uh, going there in person versus uh, you know participating in a service online yeah so you know Hans again I mentioned you know he's deaf and blind and he has you know pretty profound uh, physical and intellectual disabilities and and I will say, like, you know, thinking about 
participation in the liturgy is is something that I've I've done you know his whole life you know and um, for us you know I'll, I, I'm the first to admit it's sometimes it's difficult to think about what that actually like how we could be doing better because obviously you know bringing him to mass in person is 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 what we've been doing but it's not like he's going to be able to watch the priest or Mm -hmm. watch, you know, or, or hear, I mean, I will say because he's, he's very tactile. um, Again, at the cathedral Basilica, they have a a wonderful pipe organ. So like the vibrations, he loves vibrations. So we've actually noticed that when we're at church, you know, and the organ is, you know, thundering away, Mm -hmm. he'll feel it, which is great. But you know, this has been this has been a difficulty, and this has been a struggle, and this is something that I've even spoken with um, one of our our Catholic priest friends here in St. Louis. Is you know, I know that there are inclusive masses, um, and and I know that there there are some wonderful um, resources available for those who are you know visually impaired or hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. But where I struggle is thinking about. Um, people like Hans, who really are sort of profoundly um, impaired in terms of their access to what's going on. And, you know, and it, it's frustrating for me because I, you know, because I have a child with profound disabilities, like I, I want to be that that advocate to, you know, make things more inclusive, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to the liturgy and in the Catholic Church in general, because I think there's a lot of work to be done. But I also, like, when the rubber meets the road, I sort of find myself struggling to figure out exactly what that looks like. And one time I was talking with our with our priest friend about this, and, and you know, he sort of, you know, he was listening, and he, he, he stopped me and, you know, told me not, not to beat myself up, not to be mm-hmm. too hard on myself, because I, I do know that Hans has a relationship with God. And I do know that him being there in the church in the presence of god um i know that there's there's a i know that that's a wonderful experience for him even yeah. if i can't kind of see what's going on or or hans can't communicate communicate that exactly yeah. like i i do have faith and i trust and i hope that there is a very meaningful experience for hans of just being in church so that's so that's on that's on one part of it, um, but but the other part that I wanted to to mention about I think the importance of Hans being with us at Mass is, you know I do think that there's there's something about about witness and about you know for Hans just being who he is and and his his very cute funny happy <laughs> self um and he is incredibly happy and cute um and he's an excellent snuggler but I, I, you know when we when we go out with him i i there have been times that and, and at church as well where people have just sort of stopped to say you know I just want to say you have a beautiful family and yeah. I love seeing you all. And, and for us, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really touching because we, you know, we feel like we're not doing anything like we're just coming to mass. We're just going to wherever. But I think that because so often people with disabilities, you know, don't feel included, don't feel welcome. 
they they don't go to those places, you mm-hmm. know? And then so so then, you know, people aren't seeing other people with profound disabilities around. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, there it's hard to talk in generalities here, but for us, you know, we we try to take Hans places with us, you know, where it's safe, of course. Um, because I do think that there's an importance of of representation and of him being there and and just being just being himself, just being present. Because again, just reflecting back on my own experience, like I, you know, growing up, going to mass, uh, you know, we had a family with you know a child with Down syndrome, a few families with with children with autism, mm-hmm. but really not a lot of people with you know profound disabilities that were coming to mass. One of the things we've wondered uh, about is whether just granting access to visually watching a sermon or a lesson online. And I know this is difficult for Hans because he can't see or hear, but it kind of gives us an easy way out of doing more for people with disability in our churches. Like, are there ways in which the churches have used technology that you felt like have been included for you or maybe have you felt like is could be exclusionary for you or for other families that you know with disabilities? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that... And I think that it's it's a it's a concern that church leaders need to have on their mind is you know as we sort of enhance the accessibility of the liturgy in terms of mm-hmm. like you know live streaming and and maybe having like multiple options yeah. and you know and really you know creating as good a virtual experience as possible, then it's like okay you know check you know that box is checked you know now we have you know this is we're we're supporting everyone you know yeah it's the, accessible. if you want to stay home and yeah it's hard for your kid like you never have to come here anymore exactly and, and i think that so so i think but but it's not to say that having the liturgy accessible via live stream is a bad thing i think i think it's it's a good thing in a lot of situations but i think that the concern is you know we shouldn't just say okay then, you know, we're done here yeah. because, you know, getting back to relationship and community and, and witness, you know, I think that it's, it is really important that as people maybe utilize the virtual um, access to, to church, that we're finding ways to still connect with them personally, because there's no replacement, you know, whether that means yeah. some sort of outreach program where, you know, people, you know, re- you know, a committee or, or volunteers from the church go to the home just to check in, just, or like get smaller groups together somewhere safely that, Hey, you know, we're just going to get together and be together as a church community, but it's not going to be just worship or whatever that is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause, cause I, you know, you know, there's the saying out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, if, if we're, if, if, if people are just sort of you know, families and, and individuals uh, of persons with disabilities, you know, if if they are just accessing the liturgy via live stream, that's, you know, that that's good, but we still need to find ways to do better as a community. And and I, I guarantee that if, you know, if, if it's sort of like, okay, the live stream is set up, now we're good to go, you know, we'll check in at, you know, six months or whatever. Yeah. People are just going to stop going, you know, and they're not, they mm. are going to really feel isolated from their community. Um, because I, I do think that that in-person fellowship, that in-person connection is important. Um, it, it, but it doesn't mean it's easy, especially, you know, thinking about safety and, you know. Yeah. It doesn't fit into like, if we're going to talk about the different values, like 
technological values is like we want to increase our technology to make things easier and a little bit more convenient, a little bit more efficient. Mm -hmm. And if we take a different approach of like finding uh, tactile, like in person, like relational ways to care for families with disabilities, it's actually going to be harder. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to take more work. Yeah. We're actually going to, it's probably going to cost more. You know, because we might need to redo something in the sanctuary space or in mm -hmm. classrooms or, or what. Like it doesn't fit that same value as what technology is saying of like, no, it's easier, it's cheaper, it's more efficient. But like it's the right, like I would say as a pastor, it's the right thing to care for people. And sometimes doing that, it's the opposite value. It's mm -hmm. like actually it's going to be more difficult, but it's actually going to be more riching yeah. and fulfilling. And not only, I think at the beginning, um, before we did this interview and when I was talking with Jordan and Jeremy, I, I think I remember that the presence of someone with disabilities is life giving to other people in the community too. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've seen that or experienced that. I think we've talked a little bit about that, but I think like Hans and other people have something to offer to the community too. That's special. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, you mentioned how, you know, in a sense, like the, the job almost becomes harder now as, because now rather than just having to think about creative ways to, um, to support everyone who's coming to one place, like the church, now it's like, okay, how do we individually support people all over the place, you know? Um, but I think that it's, it's important. And again, if we just, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier how, you know, when, when you start thinking about, you know, persons with profound disabilities, it's really, like, the needs are very individualized, very particular, and sometimes they can look radically different. And, and on the face of it, you know, it, the challenge to support them as persons individually, given their very particular needs, it can be overwhelming. But, yeah. but I think that's, that's the call, and that's the challenge is... Um, and, and and I think that the the most important part of it is as as a priest, as a pastor, as a faith leader, to kind of initiate that and and be you know be very open the lines of communication and ask what can how can we make this a more accessible, uh, more meaningful uh, experience for you? How can we support you as a person, as a family? Yeah, that that's so simple. Like. I think it it does feel like an, a daunting task for anybody that's listening or uh, pastors or church members that want to care for people with disabilities. And they're like, oh, my gosh, like this is going to be crazy. But this the place to start and the simplicity is like have a conversation, like yep. talk, listen. How can we help? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the answer might be. I'm not sure. And, and I sort of touched on that earlier. Like for us, you know, uh, we have, you know, that, that, uh, wonderful priest friend and who, who did, you know, was like, how can we better support you? And sometimes, you know, the, the person or the family, they might not have a concrete answer and that's okay. So this is a really big question. Um, but I feel like this would be really important. What, and, and, and your answer to this might be, I don't know, but <laughs> what would full inclusion look like for Hans or other people with disabilities in the church? Yeah, it is a big question. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
so it i think i can i can sketch a little bit um i mean it starts with some of the the simple stuff okay. and the simple stuff is really just like the space itself needs to be inclusive and accessible yeah and and, and I, that's like if we're talking about technology, like that actually is another form of technology. Like we, we talk a lot on the podcast, technology is like computers or live stream or stuff, but like space itself mm -hmm. is like at the Basilica, it's a technology used to communicate something to people that are in it, right? Mm -hmm. With the mosaics and stuff like mm -hmm. where humans are finding ways to communicate and create things and space itself is a way to care and to use so that's that's a great point yeah yeah so i mean and and just the reality is at least you know in in the catholic tradition you know a lot of old churches were not built with accessibility in <laughs> yeah. mind a lot of new churches are not built with accessibility in mind but and, and this is where um you know obviously again asking you know asking people <laughs> you know what how can we make this space more inclusive and so so simple things you know like you know making sure that the the parking there's there's accessible um, you know handicap parking that 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 people who need it are the ones using it Can not just it. <laughs> not just anyone and anyway. everyone um, and then of course like you know things like the ramp and the wide doorways you know just to, to get into the space mm -hmm. now the the pews point that I talked about earlier I think is important because a lot of churches do just at least in my experience mm-hmm You'll notice like those first couple pews are the ones that they sort of, you know, have cut in half to made the space. But again, just speaking from experience as, a, you know, a parent of a child with disabilities with other children, you know, maybe giving options, not just in the front, because maybe those families, those individuals might not want to go to the front. Yeah. Um, I need to be in the back. If something happens, I need to leave. Exactly. To yeah. So, yeah. so having options, you know, in the front, in the middle of the back, you know, whatever, whatever makes sense given the space. So that's, you know, that's, that's the easy stuff is just kind of, you know, thinking about the space. I think the more difficult question is really, you know, well, there's a couple, there's one is, you know, thinking about the liturgy itself. And again, this is going to be somewhat relative to the faith tradition that you're in. Um, and I know that, you know, again, just speaking from experience in, in the Catholic tradition, there, there is this, um, this, this group, this working group that is kind of focused on, you know, inclusivity in terms of liturgical participation. Yeah. And, and I think that the, those kinds of initiatives are important and it's important that the people that at least some of the people involved in those are have experience, you know, yeah. either themselves are disabled or, you know, parents uh -huh. or things like that, uh, because they're going to be the best ones to speak to the needs. But again, it gets, it gets difficult when you start thinking about, um, very particular needs of some people and very profound disabilities. Um, like we were, we were talking about Hans and taking the Eucharist, like, like you know, he's on a feeding tube. So exactly. how is he gonna? Yeah. Eat bread and drink wine. Exactly. Know, like exactly. And, and and I will say that you know, uh, you know, this could be a whole other podcast. You know, <laughs> about you know the you know some of the the canon law requirements around you know uh, reception of the sacraments relative to you know um, age of reason, quote unquote. Um. But I, I do think that, that it does bring up a, a really important point because, you know, sometimes the answer that you get 
is like, okay, well, your your child or your loved one is profoundly, say they have an intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. Um, they're never going to be able to offend God, never going to be able to sin. They're baptized. So like, oh, you should be happy that you're the parent of a saint. And it's like, that's really not what I want to hear right now. Like, and, and that doesn't really, I mean, well, and, it, and sometimes it feels sort of like a cop out. Like, it's like, it's like, well, like I agree with what you're saying in principle, but that doesn't do anything to address like how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's not easy because, you know, a lot of these conversations are, you know, deeply theological and, you know, there's obviously a lot of things that, rest on faith and that we're not fully sure about and that's and that's totally fine but but I just think that there's again just in our experience yeah priests pastors those talking to families and individuals with disabilities need to be really sensitive to not just giving the textbook, you know, theology answer that they learned in, you know, theology seminar, because there needs to be a place for disabilities in our theology. Oh, exactly. For sure. And and I think that, you know, we're, there has been more focus on that, Mm -hmm. um, but not enough. And, And I think that it is important that, um, that people themselves with disabilities and, and those close to them with disabilities are, are, contributing to the extent possible, um, to that conversation. And, and I know for me personally, um, you know, I sort of, you know, feel called in a sense to, to, to talk about Hans and to, to share about Hans just because it is a unique experience. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, um, who have experiences like this don't always find a platform or have a platform Mm -hmm. to talk about it. And, and it's important to lift up those voices because there's so much that we can all learn from them. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks for coming and speaking on this platform. We, we appreciate it. Like this has been really awesome for you to share your story and to help us think more deeply about disabilities and how our church can care for that. Uh, to end our podcast, we usually do this section called hope in the world. And the idea is uh, we just, share a place where we've seen hope. It doesn't have to be within the church. It could be anywhere. Um, And so instead of Jeremy, Jordan, and I doing it, I thought you and me could do it to round out the episode. So um, is there a place that you've been seeing hope in the world that's, that's brought you hope in the midst of all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and the timing of this is a little bit serendipitous because I actually saw on Twitter, um, in the, in the Catholic Twitter, Twitter world that, um, so Pope Francis does like a weekly audience, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was this past Wednesday at his weekly audience, there was a, a young boy. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if, you know, the boy had autism or, you know, but a, a young boy just walked up to Pope Francis as he was, you know, sitting in the chair doing his weekly audience. And, you know, Pope Francis was reading from, you know, the prepared, you know, mm-hmm. message that he was going to be giving out. And, you know, when the boy went up, like, it's not like someone like quickly ushered him away. Um, the person sitting next to Pope Francis gave him his chair. And then the boy was <laughs> sitting next to Pope Francis and was like, you know, kind of touching him and, and you could just see like, you know, Pope Francis smiled and he sort of pivoted a little bit in what he was talking about and, and, and talked about the importance of childlike innocence in mm. approaching God and how we all really have so much to learn from children from that, yeah. just in their willingness to, um, to approach. And I think that there's, there's a lot we can learn from that about, you know, I mean, there's a whole 
story in the gospels about exactly. that exact thing exactly. happening, which is, exactly. it's such a universal thing. So that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, that really is. Yeah. So that gives me hope. That's awesome. Uh, my hope in the world is not anywhere near that rich. Uh, I guess, I don't know why this gives me hope really, but like two days ago, I think it was a full moon and I got home like late at night and the sun was setting and, and then, oh no, it was actually in the morning. I, I, I'd gotten back from the gym and the sun was rising. And so the moon was on the other side full moon. And I don't know, there's just the beauty of the world, seeing the full moon in that setting. And it was kind of like pink on the horizon and blue. And I was just like, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but the world that we live in is quite beautiful. And I was, I enjoyed being able to stop and appreciate the beauty. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's, That's awesome. Chris, thanks again. Also, thank you for listening. We're really excited that you've decided to tune in. If you enjoyed our conversation, some of the best ways you can help us with the podcast is to subscribe to the podcast or even leave us a comment on our Facebook page. And also, if you leave us a comment on iTunes or Spotify, um, that helps other people discover our podcast. Also, if you want to listen to the unedited version of this interview with Chris, you can do so on our podcast page. Uh, We'll post the unedited version uh, as a separate episode, so you can listen to that too and hear all the other conversations that we couldn't fit into this episode. Feel free to share us um, with other friends. And if you want to share your story or ask us questions, you can always do so through our email account. It's virtuallychurch at gmail.com, or you can always leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Chris, thanks again so much. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And we hope everyone has a great rest of the week.